There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this edition of The Grill, broadcasting live from Barasti, where the game is always on. I think it's fair to say it's one of those wow days in sport. Wow, England into a Rugby World Cup final. Wow, Leicester smashing Southampton uh, at Southampton by nine goals to nil last night. And wow... We've eventually got on air. Apologies to all of you tuning in from three o'clock. We've had a few technical issues. You could be forgiven for thinking that, well, we just missed our cue, what with all the wows in sport over the last couple of hours. But it was a genuine technical issue, which we have now sorted out, and we are live on air. Talking of live, we're live in the uh, English Premier League. City against Villa is on as we speak. Three games at six o'clock. Burnley against Chelsea is the late one. We'll have all the details ahead of those games for you. Uh, live in the T20 World Cup qualifiers right here in the UAE, both in Dubai and down in Abu Dhabi. Uh, there's AGL action taking place here in the UAE this weekend as well. Uh, plus, there's an early kickoff in the Championship. There's there is um, Gallagher English Premiership action for you a little later on. Pro 14 action for you as well. Golf in Japan and Portugal. Mexico Grand Prix qualifying and the Swiss indoors tennis. Lots of sport for us to get through. We're live down here at Barasti, up here on the rooftop. We're outdoors and we're hoping that you are in the vicinity. Do make your way down here to Barasti where the game is always on. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Who's joining me today to peruse over the live sport and also some of the big talking points. Absolute pleasure to have uh, our head of sport, Chris McCarty, who's on board. Uh, Chris Mack, good to have you on board. Very good afternoon, Tom. Yes, very good afternoon to our listeners. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to rip that band-aid off very quickly and say congratulations to the English from start to finish in that Rugby World Cup semi-final a little earlier today. Superb to a man, richly deserved. You don't often hear it from a Scot, and that's the last you will hear of it between now and six o'clock. <laughs> nice way to start. Also joining us, uh, the voice of reason when it comes to all things rugby, rugby journalist and broadcaster, Alex Brune is alongside us. Bruni, thanks for being on board. Nice to be here. Yeah, I must say I'm still a bit stunned, really. I, I, I just, no one predicted this. I don't think anybody predicted England winning. And the way that they did, I mean, they really won that game three, three, three times. Yeah. They won the first seven or eight minutes when they got on top. Then when the game settled down, they won the second. And then even when the All Blacks scored and they could have maybe come back in, England won the last part as well. So congratulations. And Eddie Jones, I mean, he who laughs last laughs the loudest. Yeah. So I'm going to borrow a line, if I may, from uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Daniel Ford, who's been reacting uh, on one of the various WhatsApp groups that I'm uh, begrudgingly a part of uh, uh, on the phone. Um, he says, and I, I thought it was a good little line to sort of start off with, um, uh, England winning the game before the game had even started because of their reaction to the hacker. Now, for those that haven't seen it, we will play out uh, some highlights of this game a little later on in proceedings. But England, with a very sort of unique way of facing up to the hacker by, well, actually not facing up. Well, it was, it's actually they borrowed what France did in 2011. And if you go back, France did it even more dramatic in 2011 in the final. What France did was they, they lined up in a line, and then as the All Blacks started, they went into this V and sort of flanked the All Blacks. So 
England did a similar thing, but right at the start, they lined up in a V, and Joe Marler just wandered across the halfway line. The refs were trying to call him back and get things under control, and England went, no, stuff it. We don't care. This game's too important. We don't care about the 50,000-pound fine. We're going to go over the line. We're not going to give New Zealand their space. We're going to get in their face right away and put the pressure on. And I agree. It, it, it made a huge psychological difference right at the start of the game. Huge, huge difference. Interesting, wasn't it? Because... Something's obviously been said by Eddie Jones. He's got form here as well, hasn't he? He took Australia to beating New Zealand several World Cups ago. So he's got form. And it, I suppose it shows the mastery of the man. You know, we talk about the influence of coaches and the impact they have. Eddie Jones certainly, certainly has seen or shown his skills over the last couple of weeks. Oh, there's no doubt, Tom. And I think no stone has been left unturned in the preparation for this. You can say what you want about what's gone on in the past. The Six Nations, the dropping of Rob Shaw, the dropping of Dylan Hartley, who was his captain in the early stages. Make no mistake about it, Eddie Jones has been waiting for this day. Whether it was a quarter-final, whether it was a semi-final, whether it was the final, a clash with the All Blacks at a Rugby World Cup. That V, the psychologist would have looked at that. That would have been planned probably months ago. Every single aspect of that England performance was poured over by Eddie Jones and his coaching staff. Alex is far more, I guess, in a better position than I to explain some of those members and how he's put together that backroom staff because that England performance, and I'm not just over-egging it, and you're going to read an awful lot, you're going to hear an awful lot on that performance from start to finish. Maru Itoj, very much the figurehead, if you will, he led from the front. It was a performance that didn't flatter England. They won this match. 19-7. It could have been an awful lot more. We were talking about it off-air. New Zealand didn't have a penalty all match. Richie Muanga didn't see the posts. Didn't have a chance to see the posts. New Zealand's try, it wasn't ball in hand. It wasn't fleet-footed rugby. It came from a mistake from England. Probably their only mistake in the whole match. This was as, as good a performance as I've seen against the All Blacks in many a year. England are going to take some stopping. It has, from day one, Eddie Jones said, I am aiming, I'm gunning for the All Blacks. Today, he put every single aspect that they've been working on over the past few, few years into practice. It was a performance for the ages, it really was. England getting it very right or New Zealand getting it very wrong, Bruni? Listen, I think England have got it totally yeah. right. I mean, everybody, I think the All Black preparation was excellent. I thought Hanson handled himself very well. I thought the All Blacks had a few selection issues earlier in the year. I thought they sorted those out. They were very brutal themselves. They got rid of Ben Smith. They got rid of Reiko Yuani. They put in Sever Reese and George Bridge. They were very ruthless. I mean, Sam Kane relegated to the bench today, and they put in Scott Barrett. So, I mean, they were very ruthless. Their preparation was excellent. Excellent. I don't think they expected the intensity yeah. of England, but not only the intensity, the calmness. Once England got in pressure in front, the composure of England was absolutely exceptional. You know, Eddie Jones was saying that he basically, when 2017, when this draw was announced, he always said, OK, we'll play Australia in the quarters, then we'll play New Zealand. They were ready for it. They were gunning for it. And I think, you know, going back to that V at the start, it was really interesting. That All Blacks, the All Blacks harker against Ireland was one of the best harkers I've ever seen. It was a magnificent harker. They were so pumped up. They were so fired up. This harker was a little bit calm, a little bit tepid. And I thought there was a really, and I love to watch the harker because I think it tells you so much about the All Blacks psyche. And I think things like Eddie Jones said through the week, like Gilbert Anoka, who's the All Black skills coach, he'll be the busiest guy in, in Japan this week. He do dropped in a few little bombs this week. I thought he played it really, really well. And the one thing I'd love to know, I don't know if you'll see it again, but Owen Farrell was watching that yeah. harker with this little smirk on his face. He was just smiling and just, it was like he was watching, I don't know, ants fighting in an anthill. And I just like, <laughs> what did Eddie Jones say yeah. to Owen Farrell to get him in that mindset that he was just watching this going like it was Irish, it was Irish jig dancing or something. It was, it was extraordinary. Well, I wonder whether he'd been saying 
sent the, uh, the the meme that's doing been doing the rounds over the course of the week of the All Blacks set to Michael Jackson's Thriller, uh, the hacker Probably. set to the Thriller, Probably. which has got a lot of people giggling throughout yeah. the week. A lot of people texting me and saying, "I will never look at the hacker in the same way after seeing that one." I, I wonder whether something as simple as that. Well, has you're had a man, effect. Tom. You're a man that does many events with rugby players, whether it be here in Dubai or across the globe, I think that's going to be one of your first and, and that will be an evening after dinner speech for years to come. What did Eddie Jones say in that dressing room moments before you walked out on the field? Because taking Owen Farrell's facial expression as a cue, it was almost, and it comes back to what I said, the players knew exactly what was coming. They knew everything and that little wry smile will come to represent a man who is confident in his ability, comfortable in his surroundings and knowing exactly what the All Blacks were about to throw at them. And that will be one of the endearing images of this World Cup, a calmness, a, resolute, a resolution, I guess, about them. And they went out there and to a man, as I say, when you pour over that performance and I'll need to watch the 80 minutes again, one mistake. Yeah. We talked about it. Limit the mistakes. I think England, I think they've made one. Well, they made very, very few. But congratulations to Eddie Jones, too, because he's known as um, as someone who micromanages. He's known as someone who's over-eager. He's on the players' backs. He's not giving them room. But what he's really done in this World Cup is he's stepped back. He's stepped back. He's done it all through this year, and he's empowered the players. And if you watch at halftime again, the players all got yeah. in a huddle on the field at halftime before they went into the change room. He wanted them to take ownership, and they took ownership. And if you look at the England dressing room before the game, all the All Blacks, all their, you know, all the Ian Foster's there, Steve Hansen's there, the whole, all, all that. The only coach in that England dressing room before the game was Eddie Jones, and Eddie Jones stepped back and let the boys talk. Mm. So he's really, it's what a great theatre director does. A great theatre director gets the actors ready that they go on stage and they don't need the director. The director is redundant. And that's what Eddie Jones said, I want to make myself redundant. And he's done that in the end. You know, it's, and it's a remarkable performance. Congratulations to him. I watched the game uh, at home. Chris, you were out and about. Uh, right? No, I was at home as well, uh, on, on the sofa with a friend. And I, I was, I mean, Manny Tuolagi crashed over inside two minutes. We looked at one another and I said, here we go. This yeah. is this is it. Now. That, that's lit the blue touch paper. And I always felt the All Blacks would come back. I'll be very honest and say when I was sitting here, when they went over, I think it was Ari Sevilla, didn't he? He went over for 13-7. I looked at my mate who's English and I said, here we go. The All Blacks from here on in. But to echo what Bruni has said, the England reaction there, there was a serenity, a tranquility about everything that they did. Yeah. And thoroughly deserving. Bruni, it. you watched it here uh, in the in the presence of greatness. Yes, as well, I, I watched it here in, in front of uh, behind, standing behind four very morose Irishmen, um, <laughs> who some of you may, may recommend. Uh, Rory, remember Rory Best, uh, Connor Murray. Rob Kearns and Tad Furlong were, were sit, had they walked in about five minutes before the game and there was a name on a table called Daniel Stern so that was obviously the code name <laughs> and they uh, all came in and sat down on this table and I couldn't believe it when they first saw that mind you if Daniel yeah. Stern did turn up then he's, I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be moving that far is <laughs> no, he yeah, that's for sure hey, what are you boys doing uh, <laughs> alright I'll, I'll sit over here if that's alright thank you so, and you know all credit to the to those boys I mean they sat there and watched the game you could see they were desperately disappointed they were feeling it they weren't reacting very much they just desperately wanted to be out there and playing in that game and I guess for me the key moment was when that English try was disallowed the only really moment that we got a big reaction from them was Rory Best just thought that was a crazy decision he could not believe that Ben Young's try had been disallowed it was the rolling mall which I thought was a very strange decision so can we talk about know, a few of those decisions because mm -hmm. we, we look at the final score in 97 that just tells half the story exactly it? exactly well two two disallowed tries I think the under one the first one's very very clear Tom Curry runs it in the middle yeah. of uh, Sam Whitelock I think that's obstruction but the second one essentially it's an 
English rolling more. Brody Retallick gets in there. He gets his hands on the ball. The ball is juggled. It doesn't hit the ball. It doesn't hit the ground. The ball is juggled. And England keep it. They retain it. Ben Youngs takes it, peels off the back and scores. Now, for me, and then Nigel Owen calls it back and says, oh, the ball's been knocked forward or it's gone from an English hand to an English hand to an all-black hand or something. But, uh, too, I mean, this is the really interesting thing, how VAR is different in the Rugby World Cup to the Premier League because that is not clear and obvious. Yeah. There is no way you can disallow that try saying it's clear and obvious. You don't even know whose hands yeah. people are. And the ball doesn't go, it goes backwards. I mean, I, was, I thought England were very, 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 very unlucky there. And that would have taken them, like, what, 20 to 7, 20 yeah. to 20, to, you know, to nil up, you know, well, well gone. So, I mean, they were they were the better team plus, for 80 minutes. Plus the missed penalty, missed drop goal as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, missed drop goal, missed penalty, Elliot Daly. Uh, I mean, it was a long shot yeah, on the halfway 52. line, but he's, he's capable of it. He's got that left boot of his. So, all the chances. I mean, it's 19-7. We could have been sat here saying 30-0. And the reason I say the nil is because it's a mistake. Jamie George overthrows the line out. Ari Sevilla profits from it. New Zealand weren't at the races from minute one and, and that is testament to the planning and the execution of those England boys. Um, let's have a, obviously we talked a lot about England and the reaction, uh, I mean, just judging by the crowd down here and still a lot of England fans in and well they might as well. Um, on that performance, I'm not sh so sure who they'll be bothered who they meet in the final, will they? I don't think they'll, they'll worry at all. I think, listen, I, I think South Africa could give them a game because sure, they've got course, a big, yeah. big, big physical presence and they will bash them up. So it could be interesting. But Wales, I think, are on their last legs. Yeah. They're very tired. They were very lucky to beat France, very fortunate to beat France. But I don't think England will care. England will say, bring it on. We want to play the best. We want to take on the best and beat them because we feel up for it. We're the strongest team here. We can win this World Cup. With your understanding of the game of rugby and, and, and especially down in the Southern Hemisphere as well. Um, okay, yeah, great for England. What about New Zealand, though? What what, what reaction is there going to be in New Zealand? Because it's, it's more than a game in New Zealand. Yeah, so it's going to be really interesting the way they react. They'll be de de devastated down there. I mean, we'll speak to Mark Archer soon, and I'm sure he'll be devastated. All Blacks, you know, there'll be some mourning. There'll be a when couple of months of mourning. Dark room at the moment, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but it's a, it's a really... I mean, they've retained a lot of their best players. A lot of their best players are staying. But as we saw today, these players are no longer the best players in the world. They're eclipsed by an English side. Also... Uh, who takes over now? Do they give it to Ian Foster? Because Ian Foster's been part of a losing all-black side, but they did that, of course, with Steve Hansen. Yeah. You know, they, they gave Graham Henry, they stuck with Graham Henry after 2007, and he won in 2011. So did they stay with Ian Foster? And this is the same group of players. Kieran Reid, of course, leaves. Sam Whitelock, they're looking as, as the new captain, but he's going to play in Japan for a season, so he's not going to even be there during the next rugby championship. So it's a little bit of transition there. They've got a lot of wonderful, wonderful players. But as Steve Hansen always says, we have to win the game up front. If we win the game up front, then the backs will kill the other side. But they did not win mm. the game up front today. They got bashed up really badly. Here's a spanner in the works then. Uh, did they go after Sir Eddie Jones? Gosh, I'd, um, Eddie Jones would love that challenge, wouldn't he? But, I mean, maybe Joe Smith comes back into the picture yeah. now. Vern you know, Cotter. Vern yeah, Cotter yeah. and Joe Vern Smith. Yeah, both of them maybe come back into the picture now and say, well, maybe we need a fresh pair of eyes on this because we've lost the bite in the forwards and we need to get it back it was very much like watching the wallabies versus the all blacks in perth when the wallabies beat them quite comfortably and the wallabies got on top that day in the, uh, up front and that's what it was like watching today or another man who's masterminded some extraordinary uh, results in recent times jamie joseph could oh, he come back into yeah, the absolutely i mean he'd, yes. he'd do a great job great job I mean, he's he's surely not going to be sticking around long with Japan as well, the job that he's done. So there's a lot of names there. Of course, I'm right in saying, though, you need to be in the New Zealand rugby system. You've got to be coaching at super rugby level in order to get your chance with the All Blacks, right? Well, listen, now I think there'll be... An interesting thing, too, is they've lost Steve Chu. 
you know, who has been a great CEO over the last eight years. So they've lost at the top level, the CEO. They've lost the coach. They've lost Kieran Reid, the captain. So that's the spine of New Zealand rugby has left. And we all know you what know? happened to Man United when that happened. <laughs> when David Gill, Fergie, when they went off. Exactly. I it's mean, 100%. Say, it's a Jose for the new gig. Yeah. Well, Blacks, imagine. Yeah. He, he is out of a job. <laughs> imagine that, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a short break when we come back. Uh, it's not just the rugby that we're focusing on at the moment. Half-time in the early kickoff in the Premier League. We'll have details on that one for you. And there's an early in the Championship. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Yeah, OK, stunning victory for England as they have booked their place in the final of the Rugby World Cup 2019. But that ain't the only sport. There's an early in the Premier League. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about when it comes to the Premier League uh, in just a few moments' time. But let's focus on the live game at the moment. Half-time, Chris McCarty. Yeah, not much to tell you about in all honesty. It is half-time at the Etihad Stadium, Manchester City, going up against Aston Villa. City, of course, looking to leapfrog Leicester City, who have moved up to second place. More on them in just a moment. But I can tell you, after the opening 45 minutes it remains Man City nil Aston Villa nil credit to the villains because they've been good they have given as good as they've got have the visitors in this opening 45 Man City struggling to break down a resolute back line that has been well marshalled by of course the England international Tyrone Mings Bjorn Engels as well what a what a find he's been from Belgian football. And Matt Target on one side, Frederick Gilbert as well, the Frenchman on the other. It's been a good half for Aston Villa. Of course, though, you take nothing for granted against Manchester City, a side that's boasting David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, and the man of the moment, Raheem Sterling. And when you've also got Sergio Aguero on the bench, you take nothing for granted at all. Half-time, though, at the Etihad Stadium, it is Manchester City nil, Aston Villa nil. Uh, that's the same scoreline up in the Yorkshire Derby, early kick-off in the Championship, Sheffield Wednesday against Leeds no goals in that one as yet uh, Bruno you've been watching this one as well and been impressed by Villa oh, listen I have um, I mean, usually uh, City just blow teams off the park a little bit like England did today but uh, Villa have really hung in there and they've had a couple of good chances they had a good shout for a penalty which was just uh, turned down and uh, they, they came, got a bit stronger as the game went on in the second half. So it's an interesting thing. They're a little bit fragile at the moment, City. If they get a couple of goals, they start to just cruise and knock the ball around and no one can keep up with them. But if Villa can get one early in this second half, it could be a really interesting game. But interesting there, uh, uh, Chris, when you were mentioning about this one and saying not much to report at halftime, isn't that the story in itself? The fact that we've got to halftime, Man City are at home. And they've not really had a shot and goal. Yeah, they haven't. They haven't. Aston Villa have done well. Tom Heaton has been a bit of a rock, the goalkeeper for Villa. But they've been pretty comfortable. You're always going to concede possession to City. At the Etihad, you always know the home sider will monopolise possession. And that's what we're seeing. But Villa have defended deep. They've got the two banks of four. John McGinn in there looking to always get beyond Wesley, the lone front man. And Villa in possession... I've actually carried a bit, as Bruni rightly points out, a bit of a threat. So we're seeing the highlights of this opening half. One or two hairy moments, one or two, as we see an effort there. I think it was from, it was Gabriel Jesus, who has been given the start. A little surprised by that, in all honesty. Sergio Aguero, who we saw scored a hat-trick in midweek against Atalanta, the Italian side in UEFA Champions League. He's my captain in fantasy, is Aguero. So you can understand how livid I was when I saw the team lineups today. And we've seen another chance there. David Silva put one past the post. But... Yeah, there have been fits and starts. Villa, though, will be delighted. Dean Smith, the Villa boss, absolutely delighted with the side's performance. And listen, I'm expecting better from City. But the longer this game goes, 
the more nervy they become. Villa up to seventh if the scores remain the same here. Uh, currently nil-nil at half-time. They'd be good for the Premier League, though. They're returned to the Premier League. It will. Uh, listen, I think they've done a really good job. Uh, they started off with a bit of a wobble, but they've got a lot stronger, as have Sheffield United. Yeah. Both these teams have come through and started to do really well. The thing about City, I mean, so much of it as any sport is played in that in that 5% in the head. I mean, so much of it is that. And City will start to worry because this is what the Wolves game was. Wolves just held on, then they got two breakaway goals and won the game. So City will start to worry a little bit here now and go, gee, we don't, we don't want the same thing to happen. And then you get tentative. And once you get tentative in any sport, you're gone. Mm. Um, give me your thoughts on Jack Grealish. Big he was fan. brilliant in the championship. Big fan? Yeah, big fan of Jack. He was a, a player when he came through a little temperamental and there, there were one or two little issues off the field, but since Dean Smith gave him the captaincy, I mean, he's still a young man. What is he, 20, 22 or 23, Jack Grealish? Still a young man. I actually saw him over here in Dubai. He was with his, his lovely lady Oh, back in January of this year. In, in actual fact, the summer. It was back in June in the off-season. Rather hot out here. Uh, I tell you, he's, he's a big guy. He, he was quite a scrawny kid when he broke through. He's obviously worked in the gym. He's taken the responsibility of being the captain of his boyhood club on. And I'm a big fan. I know Gareth Southgate and Steve Hollands, the coaching staff of England, are monitoring his progress. They like him as well. Of course, there was talk when he first broke through. Will I play with Republic of Ireland? Will I play for England? There was a bit of back and forth. I know Mick McCarthy sat with him, tried to convince him to play with Ireland. He eventually made the decision that he wanted to go on and play for England. He's in that mould. You've got Mason Mount in there. You've got Ross Barkley in there. Deli Alley. He kind of plays in a similar position, but he's proven himself to be a very good Premier League footballer. And with the captaincy, Aston Villa are a massive club. Make no mistake about that. And I think he's going to kick on. Dean Smith has been a breath of fresh air from him. Dean Smith's a manager. We saw it at Walsall. We saw it at Brentford likes to get the ball down, likes to play expansive football. That suits Jack Grealish. He's adding a bit of element, a bit of dig out of possession. In possession, he's very good. And I know an awful lot of scouts, Spurs and Tottenham being a club that have looked at Jack Grealish over the last two years, they fancy him, they like him. They think he's got a real chance of, of going even higher than Aston Villa. He sat down with Aston Villa TV before this game to get his thoughts on the season so far. Well, Jack, we spoke to you after the game on Saturday, high emotions fantastic result and that must have given everyone a really big lift going on into what's another big week for the club. Yeah of course you know it's always good to get um, a last minute winner uh, especially at Villa Park um, you know we've had games this season where the, uh, the opposition have gone down to 10 men and stuff and we probably struggled a little bit um, so at the weekend you know it was obviously important I think for us as a team to to take advantage of that, you know, when they went down to 10 men and I know we probably weren't at our very best, but, you know, we've had so many games this season where we've been the better team, but we haven't come away with three points. So um, at the weekend, you know, it was nice to, to obviously come away with all three points. The prospects of facing Manchester City at the Etihad Stadium, it's a mouth-watering one, isn't it, for, for the players? And this is why you were so determined, so driven to get promoted this sort of occasion. Yeah, of course. You know, I think all of the lads, um, you know, the ones that have come over from abroad, you know, everyone wants to play in the Premier League nowadays. And these are the games that you look forward to. I can guarantee all of the guys in there that have, have come over from abroad this season to play in the Premier League. I'm probably looking forward to this game the most, you know, against Man City, playing against, you know, the best players in the world. So, um, yeah, you know, we're all looking forward to it. We've come, come going into the game on the back of, um, 
of two wins, so uh, we're in good shape for it. I think you were fairly optimistic when we sat down at Bodymore just a couple of months ago ahead of the new season, you captaining your beloved Villa in, in the top flight. Is it living up to expectations? Yeah, of course it is. You know, I love it. Um, walking out, you know, every every single game as as skipper. Um, you know, it's obviously a dream come true. I was just saying then, I didn't think I'd ever, when I was growing up, think that I was going to be captain for Villa at the age of 23, 24. So obviously, you know, I'm loving every single minute of it and um, long may it continue. Is this a step up now with City and then Liverpool, effectively the two top sides in English football, or certainly have been in the last couple of seasons? Yeah, of course. It's going to be, you know, we all know how much of a tough game it's going to be playing Man City away and then obviously Liverpool at home. Um, like you just said yourself, you know, we both know that them two are the two best clubs in, in the Premier League at the moment and probably the two could be up there with the two best clubs in the in the world. So, um, you know, we're all looking forward to it and then we have a big game then against um, a Wolves as well. So uh, we'll just take it one step at a time and um, we'll see how it goes. Interestingly, you're sharing the goals round in all competitions. There's a nice little competition between you and John McGinn, Conor Harahan and Wesley for top scorer. Yeah, that's, I think that's what you want, you know. Um, I think last season at times, you know, we probably relied on Tammy a little bit, you know, I think he got, what, 20 something goals and I think the next one below that, I don't even think was into the double figures. Um, so yeah, you know, I think that's what you need if you want to be a successful team, you know, you, you need goals all around the pitch. You look at the likes of Man City and Liverpool, you know, everyone scores goals, whether it's the front three or midfielders and stuff. So um, it's nice, you know, that me, Guinea and Connor are helping um, the likes of Wes and Anwar um, provide goals and assists. Having scored in the last two, is that something you were conscious of that you needed to add to your game, getting a few on target and, and finding the net? Yeah, probably. I, well, I weren't conscious of it. I was just, you know, that's what the manager wanted me to do. Um, you know, I know what I bring to the team. I know what I do um, every single game. So um, it's not the fact that I was really conscious, but. Yeah, like he says, that's what the manager wanted me to do. That's why he, he probably pushed me up um, further up the field. Um, I'm not really playing as like a left wing. I'm probably playing it like more as a, like an inside number ten. Um, and that's what the manager wanted. You know, he wanted the likes of me, Guinea, and Moi to get closer to Wes because I think at the start of the season, maybe that's what we were lacking a bit. I think we were isolating Wes sometimes, and he was probably up there on his own and. If you want to get the best out of Wes, you know, he likes to get hold of the ball and bring others into play and people play off him, which is why he was so effective at Norwich. And um, yeah, that's what we've tried to do recently and I think it's worked. Yeah, you guys are putting that big smile on his face. He's got an infectious sort of personality, hasn't he, the big fella? He has, yeah. He can be grumpy sometimes okay. <laughs> in training, but um, no, he's a good guy. He's, he's so like desperate to succeed, which is obviously always helps. Um, I think he'd done an interview on Sky the other day and I think everyone was everyone was buzzing with it really. So Yeah, because um, yeah, what a story he's Exactly, got. yeah, you know, he's had, he's had um, quite a different upbringing to the yeah. likes of, you know, the team in there, me and the other guys. So, um, 
Yeah, like I said, you know, all he wants to do is be successful and help this team, and um, he's doing that. You know, I think we've played about eight or nine games now, and he's he's scored four goals and got one assist. So, unbelievable goal! This is the grill live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Chris McCarty with news of it. Yeah, 21 seconds is all it's taken for Manchester City to open the scoring at the Etihad Stadium. Whatever Dean Smith has said at half-time, probably consign that to the dustbin, Dean, because it's not worked. It's a long ball. It's route one football. When do you ever say that about Manchester City? It's a long kick up field by Ederson. It's flicked on by Gabriel Jesus into the galloping Raheem Sterling. He's too quick for the Aston Villa back line. One touch out of his feet on his weaker left foot and he just slots the ball in between the legs of the on-rushing Tom Heaton into the back of the net. It's taken just 21 seconds of the restart. Manchester City finally has have the breakthrough it's City 1 Aston Villa nil. you probably heard uh, England have demolished the All Blacks to make it through to uh, a Rugby World Cup final first time in 12 years for them uh, this is how they did it and that sums up the game fast paced and fantastic and it's England who come away as winners Eddie Jones has done it again Masterminded a huge World Cup upset. His men are too good for the All Blacks. Full time, England 19, New Zealand 7. There's still one to go for Eddie Jones and his men. That guy was something else tonight. Maro Toja, your player of the match. Yeah, I could have picked any one of half a dozen English players. Two Alani, the two flangers, Underhill, Curry. But for me, Maro Toji from the first minute was an absolute form in the All Black side. Winning lineups, stealing lineups, winning. Maratoje, many people's man of the match. Was he Mark Archer's man of the match? We might have watched it in various venues around the UAE. Uh, our rugby correspondent, Mark Archer, was down there in Japan watching it live. In fact, he joins us now from Japan. Arch, your thoughts? Wow, what a match and what a day for England rugby supporters. Uh, it was an absolute English whitewash today in Yokohama. We've just made our way back to Tokyo uh, looking to drown our commiserations, of course, a big win for England. And uh, the chance of going around the stadium, arise, Sir Eddie Jones. Arise, Sir Eddie. That is big praise indeed. Listen, Archie, before we talk England, commiserations to you, my man. You've flown all the way over there. It's not often you see the All Blacks lose. Where did the All Blacks get it wrong today? Or, or more to the point, where did England get it right? Oh, look, England was phenomenal from the, from the kickoff. They, they, they dominated uh, the start of the match. They scored that early try. And at halftime, you know, they, they, were, they were the best team by far. They dominated possession. They put pressure on the All Blacks. All Blacks never got any momentum with the ball. They, 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 they stole, they turned the ball over several times. They won a couple of All Black lineouts. Everything that England did, you know, was, was what they had to do to beat the All Blacks. They, they almost played the perfect game plan. And the All Blacks didn't have any answers. And so often in the past, we've seen the All Blacks come into matches. You give them a half chance, they'll take it. But England gave them nothing today. And they just really, for, for, for the, the scoreboard in the end, didn't reflect the dominance of England over, over the 80 minutes. And uh, the All Blacks, I, I said it to my friends, they were lucky to get seven. It was an English mistake that gifted them the try. 
There was a couple of uh, TMO moments where England maybe could have scored. I, I haven't seen the game back on TV. It was difficult to tell in the stadium. But look, England was such good value for the win today, and I think uh, it would be a pretty one-eyed uh, New Zealand supporter that, that would, you know, would admit that uh, England weren't the best team by a long way today. Arch, it's Alex Brune here. Commiserations, mate. But uh, I guess for me, this result was very, very unexpected. Did you see this coming at all? Because I just thought the All Blacks were kicking into gear. I just thought they were getting their absolute top game on, and I thought they were going to smash England today. So did you have any inkling it was going to go awry today? Look, I think, I think Alex, look, we've seen over the past couple of years that when teams win against the All Blacks, they play a certain type of style, they they suffocate them defensively. They, they put pressure on them. And not, not many teams get the opportunity to do that because the All Blacks are so good on, 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 on scraps of possession. And the England forwards were immense. And tactically, they, you know, Eddie Jones, he has his critics at times. He got things spot on today. The, the selection of um, forward at 10, who had a wonderful game. Look, the forwards, the English forwards got dominance up front. And the, and the All Blacks were feeding off scraps. They didn't have any, any territory. It, look, England got a couple of good decisions as well. The bounce always seemed to find the England player when there was a, when there was a breakdown. And look, they, they dominated the loose ball. They dominated the loose forward play. So, you know, his, his, his Eddie Jones' selection of picking the kamikaze kids, as he calls them, under who and Curry were magnificent. And but to a man, England were magnificent 1-23. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see which players. I know they were, there were a few England players hobbling around, came off tactically. The All Blacks just didn't have any answers, though. So you starved them in possession, you, you played play them in their half, you force them to try and force the pace, but they didn't have any, they got no momentum in the match, and look, fair play, fair play to England, they, they, they had the, blue, the blueprint, and look, I, I've been worried throughout the tournament, I thought South Africa might have the game to beat them, I thought Ireland might have the game, in hindsight, no, the All Blacks are too good, but I think, you know, we, we probably saw the best two teams in the tournament play, play this afternoon. Interesting comment from a couple of the guys that I was watching the game with earlier, Arch, uh, Dan Ford being one of them, saying England won it at the hacker. Uh, was it disrespect to the hacker for England to uh, react as they did or to line up as they did? No, I mean, what, what is disrespecting the hacker? I mean, I think Will Rugby say that when, when the team facing the hacker is supposed to stand so far back and respect it in this way, it's a, it's a challenge. And, and, and teams should accept the challenge. We've seen it in the past. And, and good on England. Good on England for trying to disrupt it. Good on England for trying to, 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 to make a statement before the match. Good on them for, for, for finding, a, finding a way to maybe sort of upset and, and take the All Blacks out of their flow. But look, it's before the match kicked off. And, you know, once the match kicked off, England were too good across the park. So, you know, it, it, that's where it starts and ends. Archie, what about the All Blacks moving forward? The recriminations, I'm sure, will go deep. We've talked about it as well. You ain't good losers, and aren't we all? Whenever we lose, we never like losing. Of course we don't. But what happens with this all-black side now? The coaching, the players. Talk us through the next, I guess, 6 to 12 months, this rebuilding job that now awaits. Well, I think it's a bit harsh to say we're not good losers. We haven't lost a World Cup game since 2007, so we don't know what it's like to lose. Well so it's, tough to, it's, tough, it's tough to accept the criticism when you haven't lost a game in, in 12 years at a Rugby World Cup. But, um, look, I... For me, personally, and I think a lot of the All Black fans in, in, in the stands said, look, England were the better team. They deserved to win. And, 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 and the creditors were credit due. They were, they were far the superior side today. And uh, on the day, they, they deserved to win it. But in terms of the All Blacks, it's a little bit of a changing of the guard. We'll see the, the end of Steve Hansen. Um, there'll be a new coaching appointment uh, sometime quite soon. Um, Ian Foster, the, 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 you know, the backs coach, the attack coach, is, is the likely candidate to get the role. Um, Kieran Reid, it's a sad way for Kieran Reid. I think he's got 130-plus international caps. He's won two World Cups. 
you know, one of the most successful players of all time in terms of caps and, and, and victories. There's a couple of players that might move on, but in, in essence, it's actually quite a young All Black team. They've got a lot of guys with another World Cup in them, and the All Blacks seem to find a way of regenerating players into the key places. They've got four years now to build uh, to another World Cup. The All Blacks, all about, New Zealand rugby is all about focusing on the All Blacks. It's not about Super Rugby. It's all about having five franchises that produce players to play for the All Blacks, and they'll recycle and they'll they'll be good and they'll figure out positional things. Um, you know, for players, and they'll, they'll be a, they'll be a force to be reckoned with. You know, in the international season come next year, and also also come next World Cup in France. Um, Arch, tactically, I mean, you've talked about Curry and Underhill, who who did the job, I guess, that David Pocock and Michael Hooper were trying to do, but they did it so effectively. Do you think starting Scott Barrett was a mistake? He was pulled at halftime, of course, and Sam Kane came on. But should have Kane had started, and and would would that have made the difference at the breakdown, where the All Blacks were beaten quite a lot today at the All Black uh, at the breakdown, which really surprised me. So was starting Scott Barrett a mistake? Well, I mean, in hindsight, it's easy to say, you know, what works and uh, what, what didn't work. Scott Barrett, Barrett was probably added to add a bit more bulk around the park, to be more, a bit more of a ball carrier, and also give them a third, a third or fourth option in the line-out. The, the England line-out functioned really well in the first half with two, you know, two key locks and quite a small, loose forward pack. And so the, the playing of Barrett didn't seem to bring any advantage in the first half, and that's why Sam Kane came into that sort of open side role in the second half. So, I mean, again... There's so fine margins in these games. England, Eddie Jones got that selection right because he won and he picked those guys. Steve Hansen got it wrong because he picked Barrett on a hunt that they, that's what the All Blacks needed to nullify England. But England were incredibly good around the breakdown. They did make a number of steals. And Maro Otoje, I just had a couple of England fans walk past me chanting um, the Maro Otoje chant. There's people hanging in trees around Tokyo celebrating English fans. And England players were, were phenomenal. And, and uh, let's hope that they, but some of the injuries um, for them guys will be available for the, for the final. I think Owen Farrell had a knock. He played with a knock. Uh, Manu Tuolagi went off. Um, Johnny May went off. So there's going to be some attrition in the England camp. And uh, let's see who's fit to face uh, the winner of the Springboks um, in Wales uh, next Saturday in uh, Tokyo. The hanging people in trees is a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> but um, uh, Archie, uh, let's get oh, mate, atmosphere. The, the, uh, English fans, the English fans love a win. And they're, 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 I, tell, I can tell you what's on. They are in full voice in the stadium and in Tokyo and down in Yokohama. They are absolutely celebrating this like a like they never have since 2003. Uh, well, that's what I wanted to ask you because obviously uh, the result has gone against you. But you've been talking about this trip for a long, long time. You're over there in Japan. Give us an idea of the atmosphere uh, and the World Cup as a whole for you. The experience. Well, I only arrived into Narita. Uh, quite late last night and there were big storms um, and another typhoon kind of came through early in the day and there was a lot of rain dumped in Tokyo and so the public transport system was pretty much shut down so a lot of people were really long journeys but speaking to all the fans that have either been here in the last few weeks and come back to the UAE or people that now have met have been here for a couple of weeks say it's been a wonderful World Cup the Japanese have been amazing hosts and, and I'll say it time and time again this is, I've been to five or six World Cups it's just a great, it's just a great sporting opportunity because you've got fans of all age, gender, and from different countries in the stands, having a good time, getting on with each other, sharing an adult beverage, and at the end of the day, it's sport and and, and, and rugby is such a great vehicle for just you know people getting on and having a good time. So Tokyo, Tokyo and Japan have been a wonderful, I think, um, host for the Rugby World Cup, and uh, you've got to give the world, you know, world rugby a lot of credit for bringing it here. Not ideal for you, but did Compo enjoy it? 
Oh, Compo has a lot of fun, a lot of fun, but the problem with Compo is he's, he reckons he's half English and half South African, so he sort of has a much <laughs> port on, on who he's going to bat. So he doesn't really show his, uh, doesn't really show who, who, he's, who he's batting for, so to speak. So he's pretty happy with the England win, as, as were a lot of my friends that were here from from the UAE, and a few more have just arrived in a taxi at the uh, apparently the best pizza place in Tokyo. So we're we're going to have a quiet night and uh, reflect and uh, looking forward to the, looking forward to the second semi final tomorrow, which should be. Should be a really fascinating match. The forecast is supposed to be actually a lot of rain tomorrow, so I don't know what that sort of spectacle will be. But um, Wales and South Africa, quite two tough teams to probably split on paper on on uh, who's going to come out on top of that match. And any sign of Robbie Greenfield? Uh, no, Robbie's gone dark. He's he's headed underground. He's gone uh, clandestine. He's showing up in some social media just to prove that he's still here in in Tokyo. But I haven't seen him yet. I've had some. Vague correspondence, but he looks as though he's having a good time, and I will be looking for him in the late hours of the Tokyo, Tokyo evening. I'm just glad that one of our colleagues has actually made it over there and isn't reporting from their bedroom. So that's a success <laughs> this time around, Archie. Well, it's, 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 what are you going to do for the love of sport, Chris? And I hope, uh, hope everything's going well with you. Uh, congratulations on your recent news, and uh, yeah, I look forward to get back and uh, seeing the addition to, uh, to, the, to, to Mr. Chris McDaddy. Good on you, Archie. Oh, Listen, I know that uh, you've got people uh, who want to get in your ear, people who are badgering you for tickets left, right and centre at the moment for next weekend, so we'll let you get on with it. Enjoy your pizza. Uh, order an extra large one, pal. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Very hungry and very thirsty and looking forward to just enjoying a bit of the Tokyo nightlife. Great place to come. If anyone's looking, getting over here for the final. And uh, yes, I think <laughs> the uh, ticket messages have been going, I think about 4,000 for booking for tickets. And uh, people are just looking quite left, right and centre. So... If you're an English rugby fan and haven't got a ticket, just flock. Flock, flock, flock east, flock into Tokyo, and, and uh, it'll be great down in Yokohama even if you haven't got a ticket for the match. Look at that. It's our resident ambassador for Japan. Uh, uh, he's on a retainer of Japan tourism. He is uh, Mr. Mark Archer, our rugby correspondent. Enjoy the rest of it, Archie. Uh, we talked about Mario Toshe there. He was the Mastercard player of the match. These were his reactions and thoughts after that game. Well, the Mastercard player of the match, the smile says it all. Maro Toje, that was a proper test match, was it? Yeah, it really was. Um, fair play to the All Blacks. Uh, they were the best team in the world for a reason. We really had to play for 80 minutes. Um, I'm just very thankful to my team, the, the coaches, my teammates. Uh, it was a good day at the office for us. You talk about good, it was better than good, it was outstanding. I mean, just tell me about the line-out, you absolutely destroyed it there. Uh, I think, I wouldn't quite say that. It was always a battle. New Zealand, they've had the best line-out in the world for, for a long time now, so a uh, big thank you to, to, to our teammates who did a lot of good work this week, and especially Steve Wolfett. Just tell me about this team, how it's grown throughout the tournament to get this performance tonight. Yeah, I think we're just building. We're game by game, week by week, we're building. Uh, we're pushing in the right direction. Um, we, have, we haven't done the job yet, but we're one step closer. Well, well done to you. Now I'd just like to invite the trophy. And for the Mastercard player of the match, England player Mara Toji. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai I 103.8. Chris McCarty's given it. VAR yet to give it as well. Yeah, I have given this one. They're taking a little look at this. Maybe, just maybe, David Silva does touch it. Now, if David Silva has touched it, in actual fact, yeah, when you zoom in there, he has touched it. Has David Silva. And that makes Raheem Sterling, Sterling offside. offside yeah, so this goes. Yeah, because yeah, he's in the way of Tom Heaton. So 
This goal's not going to be allowed. I mean, look at this. VAR rolling it back and forth, back and forth. It's been fully two minutes. The decision's up. It's not going to count. Raheem Sterling surely in the way, or has the decision been given as a goal? We await to see here. Decision is goal. Yeah, it's been given. So what do I know? The decision <laughs> has been given. I mean, cheapers. I mean, watching it there, I'm with you, Bruni. If David Silva's touched it, Raheem Sterling's in an offside position in the way of Tom Heaton. Either way, the goal's been given. So it's another one of these decisions where is it clear and obvious, oh, where we won't go revisit Manchester United and Liverpool, but it is this it's tricky thing. Whereas, again, it was totally different in the Rugby World Cup semi-final today. There was a little bit of doubt about the try, so they ruled it out. Ruled out. This one, you'd have to say there's a lot of doubt about that yep. goal, but because it wasn't a clear and obvious indiscretion, they've given the goal they've to Manchester it. City. So I think Villa are very unlucky to go 2-0 behind there. Yeah, they do lead 2-0 City. I was telling you, Tom, that 64 minutes on the clock at a rocking Hillsborough. It remains Sheffield. Wednesday nil, Leeds United nil. This is third in the case of Sheffield Wednesday going up against second as Leeds are in the championship table. Still nothing to separate the two sides into the final 25 minutes. Well, let's go to the uh, cricket for you now because we've got uh, ICC World Cup T20 qualifiers ongoing here in the UAE into the second weekend of action there. Uh, one result to bring you from a little bit earlier on today, Ireland keep their hopes alive. They do, yeah. Ireland are looking pretty good. I've been following this quite closely and been down to watch a couple of matches. The real surprise packet in this tournament has been Papua New Guinea, yeah. who've come from absolutely nowhere. They've been playing some wonderful cricket and they're actually headlining at the moment their pool. They're beating teams like the Netherlands and the Scots have been, the Scots have had a disappointing uh, tournament at this stage. So I was following Thanks, Alex. Yeah, <laughs> I was following the Namibia team quite closely and uh, talking to Herhard uh, Erasmus, is the captain, and talking to his father. And every time I seem to go over to watch the Namibia games, Namibia would lose about five wickets and get beaten by 50 runs. So <laughs> he saw me coming over the third game. He sort of waved to wave me, say, go away, go away. So anyway, I sort of stayed away from him, and Namibia came back and won that game. They've now gone on a really, really good run. They beat uh, Kenya in a crucial match yesterday. They had a great win there. They've also beaten Singapore as well. So now it looks like Namibia will get through. Now, it's an interesting thing here. They have 12 teams, but only uh, two teams from each pool go out in this first stage, and then the eight teams then play off for the six spots at the T20 World Cup qualifiers. So it's got a way to go. It's at the uh, Dubai uh, International Cricket Stadium. It's also running on in Abu Dhabi. So they're good games, good games of 2020 cricket, and there's been some really great matches. Oh, Premier League. Yeah, it's all over now at the Etihad Stadium. If it wasn't before, it is now. Aston Villa are capitulating a little here. City have just ramped it up. They've turned it up a notch. And it's Ilke Gundogan, the German international, who has volleyed City into a 3-0 lead. They're getting in behind Aston Villa now. We see a replay. It's a corner. It's a beautiful first touch. I think, was that? Who was that first touch from? It was absolute exquisite. I think it was, was it Fernandinho? in that near post area. It's a wonderful first touch anyway. It's a flashed across goal, it eventually ping ball wizard. Wow. It comes out to Ilke Gooden again and a little cratty kick volley into the bottom corner, no chance through the legs of the defender as well, no chance for Tom Heaton. It's City 3, Aston Villa 0 and there's still 20 minutes to go. Talking of the cricket, uh, Ireland beating Nigeria to keep their uh, hopes of qualification alive. They've been won by eight wickets against Nigeria. Netherlands taking on Bermuda as we speak. Uh, Bermuda needing 117 runs to win from 
4.5 overs. So I think I know which way that one's going. And then uh, your friends, Namibia, uh, they should be good for a win a little later on because you're not there, Bruni. Uh, they're taking on Singapore later on this evening uh, down at the Dubai International Cricket Stadium. Just a quick one for you on that one. All the games, free to get in. Yeah. Uh, free tickets, just free to get in. Uh, and some great talent on show as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I'm, I mean, I've really enjoyed the games that I've, I've been watching. Uh, the Bermuda and Namibia game was very funny too. The Bermudans were very, very pumped in the field. And because it's a very small ground, of course, you're hearing every little bit that's coming from the ground. So it was great to be there. And a lot of great characters in that Bermuda team. They've had a very poor tournament. I think if they, they've lost, they lose today, I think it's five in a row they've lost. So they haven't won a game. But it's been played in tremendous spirit. And some really great batting. Uh, there was uh, in the Namibia game... Uh, uh, Johan Smith got stuck in the other day and hit four sixes in and over. So there's some great batting, some really exciting matches, some high scoring, and it's really worth going down and checking out. It's not been an ideal tournament for the hosts, the UAE. All sorts of troubles with UAE cricket at the moment. Not many we can go over live on air, but uh, of course uh, their results not exactly stacking up as a result of that. One man that they are relying quite heavily on at the moment is Rohan Mustafa, one of the standout players for the United Arab Emirates, and this is his story. Lovely, really is smart, clever, intelligent, inventive. Lovely, lovely stroke. Rowan Mustafa is just going to announce himself here. It's all over. A boundary will win it for the UAE and give them their first victory of these qualifiers. I think it was quite good for us because we just normally don't get anything and uh, they come over there and watching the match and even my friends, few of my friends, five friends, they came from Dubai, they stay in the Abu Dhabi hotel, they were, I think that's what good for us and to be honest, I will credit to them, even when they meet me, they make me like you are the man you can do for your team. So I think that's the only thing, they just support us and morale are up and we did it for our team, Alhamdulillah. on the charge. I have lost my father in early ages, so there was nothing to survive, but I still playing cricket and working hard, and uh, I was having a dream, even my father was dreaming to play cricket for a national side. He was dreaming for Pakistan, but I was like, you know, I was in UAE, so then I started playing cricket, so it was for me a good chance to complete my dream and uh, his dream as well. What a spell of bowling this has been for Mustafa. Uh, we played age level cricket together and uh, we've been playing together for the past 12, 13 years. Uh, we both know each other's games very well and uh, you know I've played under him as well. He's, uh, he's the most successful UE captain. Uh, so it's, it's always a delight to, to have him on the park and have, him, have his influence on the, in the dressing room. Wonderful all-round effort with bat and ball is Rohan Mustafa of the UAE. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.